Hello, and welcome to Flourish, where we explore how to nurture, coach, and inspire the children we love at any age to let their genius blossom. I'm your host, Diane Planoden, and a super proud parent of a superstar named Nicholas. Today's episode, The Magic of Math, felt to me like a natural segue from last week's music discussion. I believe there's a definite correlation between music and math and how they help your cognitive abilities. And found for Nicholas, he definitely developed an acumen for math, naturally. We began our journey as a competition. And I say we because we competed against each other, Nicholas and I, in math. And he actually went on to do big competitions for real, like a, an athlete or a, a mathlete, per se. Let me start at the beginning and why I reference competition. Pick a subject, any subject, and learn it. As a parent, learn a subject, a new subject, or introduce yourself back to the basics. It gets really quite fascinating. The reason for relearning as an adult or as a parent is it's fun. It's fun to keep learning and it's fun to have little mini competitions with your child. How do you make it fun? Well, okay, math might be boring for some people or it might be natural for other people, but education should be entertaining. I think I've mentioned edutainment before, and it turns out it is a real word in the dictionary. So that made me happy. I believe when I, I recorded that episode, I didn't know if it was a real word or not. So there you go. It's been verified. Back to competition. We shouldn't confuse winning with learning. Because just because you win at something it doesn't mean that you've retained that information. So with Nicholas, he had to do 100 math problems in less than a minute. Enter the egg timer. Yikes. <laughs> that is not learning. That's just torture. Especially if you just hand a student 100 let's say addition problems, and say, okay, do as many as you can in 60 seconds, go. They haven't practiced it, they haven't learned it, they haven't memorized it, they haven't had the opportunity to make it repetition and to learn by doing, learning by rote. That's what learning is all about. So when Nicholas came home one day and was informing me that he's falling behind in math class. I was shocked. Say what again? You're failing math? <laughs> I'm having a hard time believing that. But it was true. He showed me his piece of paper and he hadn't finished all the equations and the percentage of his score reflected that. So we talked it out and basically discovered that what was happening was he was being timed. 
and had to do 100 equations in 60 seconds and a story done. Hmm. Wow. Okay, torture. Let's figure out how to correct that situation right now. So in our little scientific experiment of a world that we lived in, we narrowed down together what was the problem. Why was Nicholas not able to complete these equations? And it turned to be something very simple. He was stressed. His mind went blank at the stress of being timed, especially such a short period of time. And, you know, there, there's a lot of studies about the stress in, in, in taking tests and how people just blank out because their, <laughs> their emotions and their hormones are just looking at different equations going, what is this? I, I can't even think. And it's not because he didn't know the material. He just couldn't retrieve it fast enough because of the stress. So the pressure of time. He knew the material. He was stressing about it. All right. Like I mentioned, let's get the egg timer out. So in order to manage the stress of the time for Nicholas, what we started with was 100 equations, and then we timed him. And in the first go-round, he just sat there, took as much time as he needed to finish those equations. It ended up being about three minutes, 180 seconds, and he was finished. Great. So now we know that you can finish 100 equations in three minutes, not one minute. Now we had a goal. He had a clear intention. He had a clear vision of what he needed to do, where he needed to go, how he had to get more comfortable, and let the stress go away gradually. So just like practicing the piano every night, during these math marathons that he went through, every night the egg timer came out, and every night he got a little bit better. He got better and better and better every week. And week one, he didn't get to 60 seconds. But by week four or five, he did. And then he was elated and he was excited and he was happy to learn and happy to go to math class. And oh, just so elated when he got to move on to the next level and catch up with the peers in his class. And how so? Lead by example of what you can do, of how you can achieve and grow and learn. I think he helped out a few other students that year, especially the ones that were struggling with the whole timer thing. And I kind of know that because their moms told me, but big picture, it was Nicholas and the other students who helped each other as well. So kind of a fun subliminal message there for all of you parents. My reason for sharing this little story with you is that sometimes you have to pay attention as to why your child is struggling. Sometimes it's them, they're bored or they don't get it. 
but sometimes it's the instructor or teaching method. And sometimes there are too many children in the classroom and there's no one to pay attention to help your child. And, you know, about 20 students per classroom, in my opinion, is the ideal level. So, uh, you know, you just need to know where to put your energy, get your brain doing the work and be patient. You don't have to improve 110% overnight. It's a gradual process. It's important as a parent to identify those obstacles and to help your child overcome it. Learning and doing and, well, just being a source of positive influence begins at home. And it can be actually a lot of fun. <laughs> I did uh, look some things up because, you know, I don't want you to think I am the complete authority on absolute everything to do with parenting. So I, I like to look up some reinforcements to share with you on the show. And in her book, Mathematical Mindsets, Joe Bowler explains, a lot of scientific evidence suggests that the difference between those who succeed and those who don't is not the brains they're born with, but their approach to life. The messages they receive about their potential and the opportunities they have to learn. Opportunities. Did you hear that word? By taking the time out of math, Nicholas was able to relax and share his knowledge on the exams and the weekly tests and the weekly timing. And it was really important because then he realized he was far more talented than his test results. He just needed the opportunity to shine. As the years progressed, I joined in on the fun with Nicholas a few times in completing math questions. Perhaps perhaps to keep my own neurons firing and wiring together because if you're not learning you're not doing and it's kind of important so <laughs> when I when I decided to refresh myself on algebra because yes it was quite refreshing it was it was fun and the competition between Nicholas and myself uh, was not only who could finish first but it was also on the accuracy of the answers and we wanted to make sure you were doing the correct work, not just quick work. And during the journey, I, I learned one thing for sure, was that Nicholas, once Nicholas had mastered a certain level, he really needed to move on to the next level. He needed to keep being challenged. He keep, uh, you know, it kept his interest in math and it kept him really, you know, striving for the next level and competition within himself. And I'm going to say I did get into a few uh, debates with some of his teachers on moving on to the next level, especially in math. Because in as much as it's important 
to really have it digest and be ingrained through repetition and through memorization so that automatically you know the answer. Think about it. Everybody out there who's listening, who has a child over the age of five, knows off the top of their head what one plus one is. But you didn't always know that. And it's in your memory and it's ingrained. So Nicholas, memory-wise, he was excellent. Once that stress was gone, whoo, look out. But he had to keep going and he had to, had to be challenged. And, you know, he, in, in algebra, I mean, my head was spinning half the time and, and he did let me win a few competitions. I'm going to say that. I'm, I'm going to say that out loud. But uh, he, he was really engaged. He could have his pie and eat it too. Okay, for all you nerds out there, that's pie as in the mathematical equation, not the pie you eat. So 3.14159, I don't know, it keeps going. But anyways, <laughs> that pie, have your pie and eat it too. Once Nicholas moved on to calculus, I'm going to say I had to bow out of the competition and not because I probably couldn't have learned calculus. I just think I would have held him back. <laughs> so between his peers and his calculus tutor, yes, he had a tutor, which is invaluable, to be honest. Once a parent can no longer really support their child properly, it, it worked out great. And... Once you have someone who's a good personality fit as a tutor and knows your learning style, it's fantastic. He really shone. And the reason he really did need a tutor for calculus is because he was learning it at, I think he was about 11 or 12 and was taking it at Arizona State University with 200 other students and mm, I'm going to say the professor in that class probably didn't have a lot of office time for Nicholas and his other, um, his other friends that, that took the same class there. But it was a wonderful experience and a fantastic way to be gradually introduced into the world of university. So as I mentioned, I searched online quite a bit today to reinforce the findings of Nicholas and his math learnings with other articles online. And one that really stood out for me was a news article in the Times of India. It just popped up. It was the first thing that popped up on a, on a Google search. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. The article states, Math is the cradle of all creations, without which the world cannot move an inch. Be it a cook or a farmer, a carpenter or a mechanic, a shopkeeper or a doctor, an engineer or a scientist, a musician or, yes, even a magician. Everyone needs mathematics in their day-to-day -day life. Even insects use mathematics in their existence, their existence of life. 
There you have the magic of math in its most whole sense. The article gives a great example of bees and how they build hexagonal combs and there are there's just countless patterns of uh, patterns in nature's fabric. It states how the more mathematical we are in approach, the more successful we will be. Mathematics offers rationality to our thoughts. It is a tool in our hands to make our lives simpler and easier. Let us realize and appreciate the beauty of the subject and embrace it with all our heart. I couldn't have said that better myself. After all, math is a universal language which does not change depending on where you live geographically. The article does not state the author's name, but for references, they are um, a math teacher at Kendria Vidialia. I hope I'm pronouncing that pseudo-close almost possible correctly. If I'm not and somebody's out there and knows, please let me know. I'd, I'd love to hear about it. So back to the bees for a moment. A honeycomb contains hundreds hundreds of perfectly formed hexagons. Why not rectangles or circles? They could build those too. Well, because hexagons are the most efficient economical shape for honey storage. Even Charles Darwin was impressed with the engineering prowess of bees, according to NPR. Geometry considers any six-sided shape to be hexagonal. When the sides are exactly the same length and meet at 120 degree angles, the result is a perfect hexagon, the kind built by worker bees. On the Cambridge University website, there are numerous observations which make for a fun read on the brilliant minds like Darwin in the 1800s. In May of 1858, with the aid of a beekeeper, Darwin carried out studies on honeybee cell building at his home in Kent, England. For people to accept his theory of evolution by natural selection, Darwin knew that he had to explain how the hexagonal cells found in the wax of the beehive were fortified by natural processes. As a result of his observations, he concluded that the hexagonal shape is produced as a result of spherical cells touching each other and the beers using the beers, the bees using the minimum amount of wax possible. These miracle workers are unfortunately dwindling in numbers. And as a global community, we need to save these mini mathematicians for our own survival. I wonder if Darwin knew this when he said, it's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. Controversy abounds with climate change, chemical use, habitats and disease impacting beach species. They seem to be dwindling and I for one will plant a more bee-friendly flower garden this spring 
in hopes that little by little they can come back and thrive once more. One final thought on the magic of math and more specifically the sequencing of numbers. I've always been fascinated by this and specifically the number nine. I don't know why, but there seems to be a, a lot of examples out there. And take a four digit number. I, 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 I did this a number of times today just to reconfirm my thoughts on it. But I chose finally the number 7,315. When you add those numbers together individually, they uh, add up to 16. So then you subtract 16 from the original 7,315, and that equals 7,209. So you're left with the number 7,209. Add those up, and they equal 18. Add 1 and 8 up, and they equal 9. I did this over and over and over again with different combinations, and they always equal 9. So I thought that was really kind of cool. And mm, <laughs> there's all kinds of fun examples online if you really want to be a nerd. And, and But that's, that's the one that really sticks in my mind on an ongoing basis. So I hope this episode has given you some ideas on how to approach different ways of learning, not only math, but any subject really. For Nicholas, he did not have major struggles in understanding math. He did not have major struggles in the repetition and the discipline it required. What he did struggle with was the stress of test taking and specifically when he was timed. And I know there has to be time allotted for final exams, but 60 seconds, yeah, you know, that's, that's a little much on day one. So build up gradually and, and get out that egg timer. I, it, it might help you. It might. So well, explore different ways and tell me, how does your child learn? I'd love to share that with the community. Everybody is so unique. It's, it's nice to, to learn from other people as well. Next week, oh my gosh, it's going to be so much fun. Hansel and Gretel are making an appearance. Yes, they're on a gingerbread quest. And of course, you do know how I love to bake by now. So there's a little bit of a surprise involved. I'm excited to share with you. And thank you. Thank you for spending your precious time with me. I really appreciate it. You know, we are all born with a gift. We're all born with purpose. Life's journey is to hone and develop that gift as purpose changes within. Today's inspirational quote is, well, from the man himself, Albert Einstein. Mathematic is, in its way, the poetry of logical ideas. And I chose Albert Einstein because he was a big influence on the music show that I shared with you last week. And thank you, Nicholas, for the music composition of the show and for always being a good sport and letting me win the odd math competition now and then. Live well, my friends. I'll see you next week. And if you are listening from uh, 
the United States. Have a happy Thanksgiving this week. I'll see you then.